0: Mr. Gorbachev, tear down this wall. Either you're with us or you're with the terrorists. If you've got health care already, then you can keep your plan if you are satisfied with it. Donald Trump is not going to be president of the United States. Take it to a bank.
1: Together, we will make America great again.
2: We shall never surrender. Never surrender.
0: It's what you've been waiting for all day. The Buck Sexton Show. Join the conversation. Call Buck toll-free at 844-900-BUCK. That's 844-900-2825. The future of talk radio. Buck Sexton.
2: Don't forget John is great, and she is a great gentleman. He's now president for life.
0: I
1: think it's great. They want to give
2: that a shot someday. Welcome to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. That was the big line from over the weekend. President Trump making a joke at a dinner about how he wants to be president for life. And oh, my gosh, they the, the media was upset about it. President after this comments about China saying we should copy their dictatorship or see some sense as maybe that's what he wants. The Chinese leader is now in there for life.
0: Yeah. That sounds pretty good. Maybe I could have that. This guy now wants to be the president for life.
2: Off spot for
1: Xi, the Chinese leader, and for other autocrats. Authoritarianism about his disdain in some ways for free institutions. President Trump's admiration
0: for autocrats. Or when Republicans ignore the fact that this man mm-hmm. is talking about being president for life, if they Think that Donald Trump is joking? even mm-hmm. they're fools.
2: <laughs> it's amazing. Uh, he was joking. That's that's why he was saying it at a comedy, at a comedy portion of a dinner during the remarks. It, it, it was in fact a joke. Um, I, I remember I would know President Obama making a joke at one of these dinners where the president shows up, and he made a joke about uh, a, a joke about drones. Which is actually uh, not funny at all, if you were to think about it in context, because go back and look at what was going on with drones at that point in time, right? It's actually, it actually wasn't a funny joke, but they let that go, right? It wasn't a funny joke. Oh, it didn't, wasn't the Obama administration that had a, right, U.S. citizen, drone, no trial? Wasn't that what we, oh yeah, that's right. That's right. I remember that. Um And they fought like mad to prevent that from being released to the public, if you recall as well. That transparent Obama administration didn't want people to know that 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 commander-in-chief actually would make a declaration of lethal force like that. But he could make a joke about that, and it was all ha-ha-ha. Trump can't make a joke about being president for life. What a surprise. It's actually not a surprise at all, but here we are. You had a weekend of of the the media doing what it does, and we will, of course, talk a bit about the the Oscars. That will come up, I think, later on in the show. Um, But first up here, you have a situation where there are very loud, uh, very loud criticisms of Trump on tariffs. We're being told that, this isn't a, a, a bad idea. He has no idea what he's doing. I will tell you, in fairness, I looked long and hard over the weekend and tried to find respected economists, whatever that means. But I tried to find somebody who would make the case for tariffs that Trump is talking about. And the folks that make that case are few and far between. I'll say that much. It is it is a rarity. Um Trump says that this is the way it is going to be. No, we're not backing down. Uh, Mexico is, uh, we've had a very bad deal with Mexico, very bad deal with Canada, it's called NAFTA. Our factories have left our country, our jobs have left our country. For many years, NAFTA's been a disaster. Uh, We are renegotiating NAFTA, as I said I would, and if we don't make a deal, I'll
0: terminate NAFTA. But if I do make a deal, which is fair to the workers and to the American people, uh, that would be, I would imagine, one of the points that we'll negotiate, it will be
2: tariffs on steel for Canada and for Mexico. So people are getting angry at President Trump. They're saying, I even saw a conservative saying he's an economic illiterate, he has no idea what he's doing. Oh my gosh, what's happening? Meanwhile... Uh, meanwhile, when I look at what's really going on here, the president is saying that we need to look at NAFTA. He's right. In fact, I know trade experts. All they do is study trade, the impact of trade, and they'll tell you some very straightforward things about NAFTA. Like this is a deal that's over 20 years old now. Of course, it has to be renegotiated. Things have changed. So that's not strange at all, and, and maybe Trump is trying to get a little more leverage in these discussions for a NAFTA deal that is more to his liking, that's more favorable to the United States. He, he, see, here, here's what I'll say with all this going on, uh, all, all of the fight over trade and all the market. The market recovered today, but the market was uh, not looking so great for a day on Friday, which does that even really mean anything? But here's what I will say. We have been led to believe by it, what has become a, a, a globalist mantra, all the smart people, so-called, right, or all the smart people, quote-unquote, believe that just free trade, free trade, that's the only answer, that's always the answer. All right, I, 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 yeah, and people who know a lot more about economics than I do will tell you that, and that's fine, but here's something that I do know. The notion that you're going to go into these agreements, especially a bilateral agreement or, or a multilateral agreement with foreign countries, and there's no such thing as getting a better deal is crazy. We are led to believe and really think about this for a moment. We are led to believe that an international trade, uh, we, we are just at some state of equilibrium where things are exactly as they should be, whatever. Because we're signing agreements and whatever the agreements are, they're equally good for all sides. That just doesn't make sense. There's no way that's the case. Why negotiate anything then? Right. There's no need to negotiate. Uh, there must be better versions of existing trade deals and there must be better ways of doing things going forward with new trade deals. And I, I'm, I'm trying to find a, uh, a contrarian or an out-of-the-box way of thinking about this because so, they're so set on Trump is wrong here that I think that there must be something else going on. Maybe it's that he's just trying to shake things up so that there'll be an alternative, uh, there'll be... Uh, deals negotiated that he has more He has more leverage in negotiations. But keep in mind, NAFTA does need... People, oh, how dare he would touch NAFTA? NAFTA is... Le-. Right. It needs to be renegotiated, though. That's just true. And he's saying he may not sign it. I'm sure he'll sign something. But, you know, if you go into a car dealership and the first... And this was what the Obama administration did with Iran. We've seen bad negotiating. We've seen bad deal-making in the recent past. And the Obama administration on Iran showed up, so to speak, right, it's it's uh, envoys, and diplomats and whatnot, showed up and sat down and said, how do we get an Iran, how do we get a nuclear deal with you? I'm not leaving here until I get a nuclear deal. And those of you who are in business, which I'm assuming is a, a large portion of uh, the wonderful folks listening to this show across the country, know that. If, if, if you've already given that up at the start of the negotiation, you're not much of a negotiator, right? Imagine those of you who have bought a, bought a car in recent months uh, or recent years. If you walked in there and you said, I know there are many other car dealerships. I know there are used cars. I know there are leases on new cars. And, you know, there's all different kinds of options. But let me tell you one thing, sir. I will not leave this dealership until I have bought one of your vehicles full stop You've given that person some very good, very good information, very good leverage. Right? They, they, they don't have to worry about you walking out. They don't have to worry about you leaving. In fact, I know people will tell you that one of the best tactics you can do in any negotiation is show a willingness not to have a deal, especially when you're talking about consumer products with you know, hefty price tags like cars and you know, ju- some types of jewelry even, maybe engagement rings, those kinds of things. You have to be willing to walk away. So I I think that the convulsion that happens whenever Trump speaks about trade now is overstating, first of all, how quickly any of this would happen and and his ability to to make it happen. But also, we seem to be on autopilot with all of this. We seem to think that there's nothing that could be done better when it comes to negotiating international deals than what we've had. And when you see the ineptitude, for example, of the Obama administration, and, and I would even say... In some ways, with the Bush administration before that. I get much earlier than that, and I'm kind of a young kid, and I don't really remember what was going on with trade, but there clearly has to be a better way. And I think Trump is trying to find it. Maybe he's at least trying to open the pathways so that we can have more favorable trade deals. Right? It's just This is very basic. I'm just applying logic here. If the Trans-Pacific Partnership was a good thing, then not doing it must be a bad thing. But if it was a good thing, there must be a way to get similar benefits in another deal, right? It, it, it can't just be, well, it, any international trade deals are are what we want. You know, this is simple. This is straightforward. It's a very complicated process. Um, and I think that that's what Trump is trying to work through right now. Cause, and I know, look, I've read, I read lots of conservative editorials on this over the weekend, people I like and respect and who are, You know, for me, if 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 national security and politics and economics are a three legged stool, you know, econ is my least favorite of the as you all know, based on what I talk about the most and what I have the most background and experience on. Uh, But I think that economists also overstate their ability to explain things and to predict the future. Uh, I know they overstate their ability to predict the future. They're actually terrible at predicting the future and they're very bad at seeing Black Swan or fat tail events, uh, low low probability, high impact events before they happen. So, I'm seeing a lot of economists say things about how everything is great and you know free trade, free trade. There's there's almost no downside to it. There is no downside, they would say. But what if other countries? What if they have tariffs going on? And they do. So they can have tariffs, and there's no downside. But if we have tariffs, there is a downside. That's what they tell us. That's what we're told. That seems strange, doesn't it? You don't have to have a PhD in economics to say, well, hold on a second. Maybe we need to rethink some of this. Uh, but we'll see where Trump goes with this. But like I said, the biggest problem they had is that Trump now is going to be dictator for life because he, he made a joke. This is what we've seen over the weekend is testing the theory Can the media take a joke when it comes to Trump? And the answer is clearly and absolutely no. They cannot take a joke. They do not find anything involving Trump to be funny unless they're mocking him or his supporters. But there's nothing about Trump that's allowed to be funny. Which is maybe why there's nothing about the media and the uh, comedy pundits these days, because that's really what they are. That's that's going to be funny either. We'll get into Jimmy Kimmel. I thought he bombed at the Oscars. I thought it was terrible. And the Oscars stunk. I thought the movies stunk. I thought the whole thing was just trash. And I even Miss Molly Cooked for me. It should have been a really lovely evening. We had a good time, don't get me wrong. But uh, the Oscars were, it was unwatchable. Unwatchable. 844 900 but I watched it. 844 900 844-900-BUCK. Team, we will be right back
0: because he did everything he could to keep us from finding out any of the information that was in either one of those memos. So Congress has proven itself incapable of investigating this FISA abuse. DOJ should not be looking into it. We need an independent arbiter. That's either the inspector general or special counsel.
2: Trey Gowdy was referring to Adam Schiff there. And I think what he's saying is true, which is that, well, one, Schiff is super shady. We know that. Uh, also, uh, DOJ is, uh, it, it, let, let's just step back from this for a moment, shall we? DOJ believes that it can't wash its own laundry, so to speak. It's actually a line from Serpico. If you remember when he goes to see the senior inspector, he's like, Serpico, we wash our own laundry here. And Serpico's like, you know, it's me out there, you know. You know, and I, you, you're You going a couple of flunky cops, you know, the whole, you know. Serpico, we wash our own laundry if you haven't seen that movie, by the way, I basically am that guy. He's got, like, the whole Inspector Gadget coat and the little glasses and the whole thing. Got, like, a fedora on. They're meeting under the bridge at Randall's Island. I know the whole thing. Serpico's a great movie. Uh, a couple flunky cops from the Bronx. You're not going to get to the problem. You know, the big guys, the, the bad John, you know I sound exactly. that's right. I could do a one-man play of Serpico here in The Freedom. it would be amazing. Sexton. Uh, so... What the heck was I talking about? Oh, yes, that's right. Uh, Adam Schiff and Trey Gowdy. So uh, Trey Gowdy saying there should be an additional counsel. If we needed a special counsel because of Trump firing Comey, which is really what triggered this. And now we know that Comey is a is a huge weirdo with no self-awareness. And he's absolutely playing political games and he's, uh, you know, the whole thing. Why should we believe that the DOJ, which has been implicated now in so many different little stories, you have an inspector general report from inside of DOJ that is reportedly going to call out McCabe, Andy McCabe, who was uh, number two at uh, DOJ, who is the Andy referred to in those Peter Strzok, the FBI agent, those text messages about the insurance policy and the discussion in the office of the insurance policy. McCabe is supposed to get hit by something in the IG report but keep in mind that maybe it should be a lot worse than what's in the IG report. You know, if you're if you're going to have some internal investigation, you got to come up with something, right? It would be too suspect and it would look bad if you didn't have anything to come out of it. So that's why you've got to Maybe have an additional special counsel. I mean, I'm. I think that this whole investigation thing about the Russian interference is 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 an overreach. I think it's preposterous. I think it's dumb. I think we know everything we need to know. We've known it for a long time. Putin, big surprise, just came out and said he's not going to extradite the 15 Russians who were involved. Right. So, you know, okay, we, we, we've we've gone to this point, but maybe we need. it. If, if we're going to have a, an investigation that just grinds on forever and looks at. I can't even you can't even keep up with all this stuff now. All they're saying that they're looking at uh you know, Jared Cohen's fi- uh um uh Jared's uh, financial dealings and you know, they're looking at all this different stuff and you're saying to yourself, "Hold on a second. Um what exactly what exact I'm sorry, Jared Kushner. Jared Cohen, wrong name. Um that's a that's a, a different Jared. So, you're Jared Kushner out there with his financial dealings, and you know, I'm looking at this and I'm saying to myself, this is all getting sucked into this vortex of the Mueller probe. Why do we think the DOJ would be honest investigating itself? If there was ever a need for a special counsel, wouldn't it be if it involved possible Department of Justice malfeasance? Isn't that an even better reason for this? So that we don't have Rosenstein and some of his buddies sitting at the top of this thing able to direct it all? I mean, we, we think the inspector generals, you know, who's going to watch the watchers becomes the question here. But I think it's a legitimate one. You know, we're going to keep seeing these reports. Oh, yeah, I saw it. 100 State Department or somebody's got $120 million to deal with Russian interference. What are we going to do? Create internet trolls and sock puppet accounts that say, you know, don't put Hillary in prison? It's not really going to be that effective. They, keep, they talk about information warfare as though it's a war that you win, and that's not true. Information warfare, if we're going to use that term, is ongoing and forever. It is a battle of ideas. Sure, it, there'll be dirty tricks. There's black propaganda, gray propaganda, white propaganda, and maybe I could even discuss what the, the differences are therein, if you want to know, because I am somebody who has studied and knows a bit about actual government propaganda, um, and we've got to talk about uh, Sam Nunberg, who is right now dominating the news cycle. If you don't know why, I'll tell you when we get back. Welcome back to the Buck's Action Show, everybody. So, okay, <laughs> something going on right now that we're going to have to talk about for a little bit here. Uh, I, I, I want to start by saying that I, I actually uh, know Sam a little bit. I have reached out to Sam. Directly. And I am hoping that he will join us here, if not tonight, maybe tomorrow on the show. Because Sam Nunberg, who is a longtime advisor and confidant of Trump's, who I forget what the specific uh, circumstances were, but was removed from the campaign. And I will say this, and I can't get into the specifics other than to say that this is a guy who believed in Trump for president years ago. OK, this is somebody who like five, six years ago was talking about Trump for president. So he was a, among the earliest of early adopters for MAGA and the Trump train and the whole thing. OK, so let's I wanted to set the table that. And so i I've I've, uh, I've I've had drinks with, with Sam. I know Sam uh, not super well, but I, I know him a bit personally. So that's all my way of saying uh, he is now dominating the news cycle, folks. I don't know if you're aware of this, but he's gone on a kind of media rampage in the last. This has just happened in the last couple of hours. So this is still going on while we're on air. It is right now the main story they're discussing on CNN. Former Trump aide says, and then I'll tell you what in a second, but this is, and it's under breaking news. So Sam Nunberg is now. The biggest national news story for most of the media. Fox is like, let's talk about Israel and security and you know, China and other things, right? Fang, you know, Russia probe. I mean, they're they're actually covering news stories, whereas everybody else is dealing specifically with this Sam Nunberg situation. And I got to tell you guys, it's quite a show. I, I've got some clips lined up for you here, where you get to hear what Sam is saying. He is very much, um, he is very much in the, was in the uh, inner circle of Trump's orbit. As I said, I know for a fact, years and years and years ago, he was like, Trump is going to run for president and it's for real. And, And I may or may not have been like, come on, man, really? So Sam is an interesting character. But he really made headlines today by saying this was on Jake Tapper's show on CNN earlier. he called he's go he's doing what Trump used to do, which is just call into these shows, And you know, Trump was a phenomenal guest as a caller, and this is something that's often forgotten about. He's an incredible TV talent, but also look I, I do radio for a living. I do this three hours a day. I've been doing this now for years and years. I love what I love this, but it's it's hard to call into a show uh, as a guest. And really light it up and really get the audience engaged. Right. It's 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 a certain skill set. Trump's incredible at it, by the way. And Trump calls into a radio show and turns it into the Trump show as a guest, which is almost impossible to do. Uh, I told a friend of mine recently, he said, he said, well, what do you do when you're in radio when somebody calls in and, you know, they want to get. You know, they want to be nastier. They want to challenge you in a way. They want to undermine you. They, you know, I'm always all for exchange and debate and discussion. But if they want to be undermining and nasty. And I just said, well, you know, if you want to wrestle with gators in the bayou, you're welcome to try. You know, it's just you're entering the radio host's world. You do not. You, I probably shouldn't be telling you all this. This is some of the inside baseball stuff. But you're always at a disadvantage. This is why I've invited people from CNN anchors. I know there, they'll never call into the show. Because they know that uh, this is my bayou, and I'm the Gator, and they don't want to wrestle me. Um, But back to Nunberg here. I'm really, I'm really, I know I'm extending this out because you're going to be like, wow. So Nunberg called in to CNN, and I've, I've, I've texted him in the last couple hours trying to get him to come on this show, but he's now, he's become the biggest news story in the country. This former Trump advisor, guy's about my age, I'd say. Um, and he goes back even, I think he's pre-Hope Hicks. I mean, he goes way back with Trump. The only person who is in the political advisor realm that I know of that has a deeper or, or longer-term relationship with Trump than Nunberg is is Roger Stone. And, okay, so so there's that. Here is what Nunberg said. I have really stretched it out. Here we go. Here's what Nunberg said on Tapper's show.
0: But it is law enforcement telling you that you have to do it. That's what, what a subpoena okay, is. Fine. I mean, are you, you know you're actually willing to you go to jail what? for this,
1: Sam? I'm not cooperating, arrest me. You're not you cooperating, arrest you. Yeah, I'm not cooperating. You're more than happy. You want to arrest me, arrest me. Because you know what? At this instance, and I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, Jake. And you I know, know you, this? Had a, you had a big falling out. I'm not a fan of his. You know what? When they start asking for stuff like this, Trump is right. It's a witch hunt.
2: <laughs> I'm not. I'm not cooperating. Arrest me. He's saying this on CNN about the Mueller probe. But keep in mind, he this isn't some guy who's you know w- wandering around the streets holding up a sign saying that you know I'm not cooperating with the Mueller probe, and nobody cares. Sam was in contact with all these people. He he knows all of the the top Trump orbit folks. He was definitely talking to them. And he's going on TV, I can tell you this, most DOJ TVs have CNN on in the background. And I'm sure a lot of the executives probably have a TV with CNN on in their offices at the Department of Justice. And he's calling out Mueller's probe and just being like, bring it, son, bring it. I'm not cooperating with the special counsel now. Is he just? Is this bluster? There's nothing, I, as, as I understand. There's nothing illegal about him saying he won't cooperate. If he does not, then things might get interesting. And and he he, he went. I'm sorry, it's pretty amazing. He went basically to Jake Tapper on air. This all just occurred, folks. Right before I came on air. Right. This is just. This has just been happening. So I'm probably the first one who's telling you about this today. And as I said, this has become the biggest news story in the country right now. CNN is going bonkers over this one they're just like oh my gosh he's defying the special counsel but Numberg, of uh, i don't know if he's got a book coming out or something this is brilliant viral marketing i mean just call into the shows but this is what some of trump's people do i mean look the mooch does this the mooch is on fox he calls into cnn i mean the mooch is all over the media what does the mooch do now go on media shows from what i understand i'm not sure i know he's a finance guy and maybe he's still in that i don't know but he loves to do media stuff right and you Mooch will call in for um uh Cuomo and he'll call in to do these different shows. Uh, but Penumberg asked Tapper what, what his thoughts were about this. it was it was quite an exchange. Should
1: I spend eighty hours going over my emails, shake
2: If it were me, I would. I mean, if you're just asking my opinion, <laughs> Jake's just giving him good advice. It sounds like a pain, but
0: he is the special counsel, and he does have the, the law arm of the law. why do I have to
1: produce every email? Yeah, I talk to Steve Bannon <laughs> and Roger Stone eight times a day. Do you know what I mean? Why do I have to go over it? Why do I have to pre- send up every email Sometimes
2: like life and special prosecutors are not fair, I guess. I would, I would cooperate, were it me? But, you know, I'm a different breed of cat. Sam, thanks so much. I appreciate hey,
1: it. Hey, Jake, I'm Jake. I'm definitely the first person to ever do this, right? Say that again? I'm definitely the first person
2: to ever do this. glad i say I'm not cooperating? <laughs> I mean, like, I don't even know what Jake is supposed to say there. You know, uh, Tapper is I, I, Tapper's giving him good advice, which is I would not openly defy a. As much as I talk about how the federal uh, or how the special prosecutor is a witch hunt, it is a joke. It's not a joke as in you can ignore it without consequence. I mean, they are trying to lock people up in prison already. The the special counsel is going to try to put Paul Manafort in prison for a long time. And they're going to send people with guns to take him to prison. Right. This is not a this is not a request. So as much as I'm among the first to uh, denigrate the special counsel's mission and all this stuff, because I I, I think it should be denigrated. I think it's it's preposterous now. I think it's way beyond its mandate. It's a joke. It's. I shouldn't say it's a joke. See, that's a problem. That's not a joke. It's destructive. It's wrong. It's grotesque. Uh, but I'm just not going to cooperate. I'm not sure that's really an option. Nunberg continued on, though. He called in. So that was on CNN. He's just been making the rounds here. He called in to MSNBC with Katie Turr. And this is how that exchange went.
0: Has anybody now, at all told you not to go I talk I to the grand to jury?
1: I spoke to Steve Bannon for the first time last week after I went in there and the first and I spoke to him and Steve and I were discussing about how we both feel, Katie, like I'm telling you that Trump may have very well done something during the election. I don't know what it is. I could be wrong, by the way.
0: Sam Nunberg. Remarkable. Thank you very much for calling in.
1: What's remarkable about this, by the
0: way? Everything's remarkable about <laughs> it, Sam. You, you know, you called me, correct? It's all unbelievable, I'd say. <laughs> what do you think Mueller's going to do to me? Uh, you know, I'm not a lawyer. I don't know. But I imagine, given the circumstances, you might be held in contempt of court. Um, we'll, we'll see.
1: If I'm, I'm held in contempt of court, because I don't want to communicate what Roger Stone and Steve Bannon and I talked about since November of 2015. It's also, it's also
0: Keith Schiller and Michael Cohen and Hope Hicks and Corey Doolandowski and Donald Trump and Rick Gates and Paul Manafort.
1: Do you think I had any contact with Carter Page? Sam, do you I you don't know. Contact
0: with? Sam, I don't know. Well, the um, answer is no. <laughs> I'm
2: forgetting. Folks, I'm here in the Freedom Hut headquarters and... Uh, we're we're getting more. i just producer Mike is telling me there's more of this stuff coming up, and this is this is pretty wow. He's just calling it. Every show is taking him right now on TV. I mean, like I said, I, I know Sam. I've reached out to him, but he's I, I can't get through to him because I think he's still on TV right now, or at least he was as of a few minutes ago. He's doing interviews now left and right, but he's he's trolling in a way that he, he knows his audience because he's telling them maybe Trump did something. He doesn't think Trump did anything. But he knows that, that that now they're hooked. You got a guy who's running around saying some pretty, just, it's like entertaining and outlandish. And look, he's learned from he's learned from the best. Trump is among the very best radio calling. I've heard it. I've never had him on radio, which reminds me, I should probably do that at some point. Uh, reach out to Ivanka and Jared, see if they'll get Trump to call in. Actually, I'd probably go through Don. I might go through Don Jr., but that's a d- different discussion for a different day. Uh Trump is an incredible phone guest, you know, which is really hard to do, as, I, as I've been telling you. And Sam Nunberg is doing a pretty good job, though, so we'll see if we can get him. There's more, though, folks, and I'm hearing it's even, it's even more wow, if that's possible. Uh, we're going to be scrubbing the audio in the break here. We come back. Uh, I'll play a little more. We'll hear from you. I haven't even touched on the Oscars. I've got some Oscar thoughts that I want to share with you, though. I think there's some important stuff to discuss. So uh, 844-900-2825, 844-900-BUCK. What do you think about what's going on with Sam or tariffs or other things that are actually important? Whatever you want, wide open here in the lines. Give me a ring. We'll be right back.
1: I think some people are worried about you and they're worried about what you're doing. I think other people are upset because we just showed the White House, which doesn't want to comment on this, responding to you. So clearly you are. Sarah should shut up. Frankly, you're in the eye of a storm. Sarah should shut up. Let me ask you this. She's a terrible. She's a terrible communicator. Let me ask you this. By the way, her by the way, her presidential, uh, the one the. Person she defends every day, he has a thirty-five percent approval rating. She should shut her mouth. Let me ask you the important question. Yeah. Do you understand? Uh, and I'm warning her, by the way, to shut her mouth.
2: What does that mean? As former Trump advisor Sam Nunberg, who, as I've told you, I it was very close to Trump for a long time, and they, they've had a split, so they're they're now on bad terms. well That was bizarre. I'm warning her. You you're, you're going to warn the White House you're going to warn the White House press secretary to quote shut up. Sam, that's not very... If Sam called in now I'd have to tell him he needs to be he needs to be nice. That's not nice. Well, actually I would have to tell him a few things. Some things on air and some things off air and I'd be like, "Sam, I don't know. We'll see. I've got my phone right out here, folks. He he may in fact uh light it up at any point in time, but he's making the rounds on all the shows right now." And it goes right to the Mueller probe. He's saying he's not going to cooperate. He's, he's defying. Here you have a former Trump advisor who's defying the special counsel to arrest him for not complying with this. It's essentially civil disobedience. That's what he's that's what he's saying he's going to do. Will he do it? I have a feeling not. But if he did refuse, it would be civil disobedience against the witch hunt that is the Russia collusion probe. But in the meantime, Sam's also just he's just lighting things on fire left and right. And I, I don't know what he's got going on here.
1: You know what? I, I think that there is hypocrisy. Mm-hmm. I think that there's two separate rules for Democrats and Republicans. I want to see if they're going to do something to me about this after the way they treated Hillary Clinton during the Comey investigation. Let's let, see that. Let's see it. Let me ask Why? you another question. Carter Page? I mean, I mean, Ari, look at this. Corey, do you think I talked to Corey on November 1? I despise Corey. If I could see if if I could find Corey in an alley, it wouldn't be very nice. Well,
2: he's calling out Corey Lewandowski and basically saying he would kick his butt, folks. I I don't know what's going on here. This is the train has gone way off the tracks. It's not. And there's other crazy stuff happening. CNN meeting with the jailed Russian sex coach who claims to have details on election meddling. There's, there's a jailed Russian sex coach that CNN is meeting with in, in, is she in Thailand? Is that right? This is crazy. What the heck is going on today, folks? Ah. <laughs> I feel like I'm taking crazy pills. Woo! All right. Kenny in Boston. Help me, help me re- regain some sanity here, my friend. What's up? Hello, Buck. Sam,
0: I am not. Anyway, listen, um, what I think is going on here is this is obviously deliberate. I think he's positioning himself as being on no team whatsoever, whether he is or not. But this is not some sort of whim thing because he's calling in several times to different people. So you would think he would be being advised at some point whether or not to do it. So I do think this is either being done for a distraction or it's a come at me, bro, come at me, bro. And he has, you know, to, to dare them and say, well, maybe he has something that's going to destroy our case, Russian case, and Mullah won't go after him. You know what I mean?
2: I, I wonder. I, I, don't know what, I don't know what Sam is thinking, but I just know the media is eating it up right now. And we'll see, Kenny. I, yeah, it's, it strikes me that Sam, must, Sam has a plan of some kind. I don't know if it's a good one, but there's just no reason for him to do this otherwise. Because remember, this is not just a guy calling into radio shows. He is... He is straight up challenging the special counsel led by Robert Mueller on behalf of the Justice Department. He is saying, come at me, bro, to Mueller on national TV. And, and Mueller wants his, I mean, they've already subpoenaed him. So this isn't a, a moot point. <laughs> this is pretty nuts. If he's got a lawyer. But then again, you see Carter Page is around. He's like, I'll talk to anybody. Carter Page is supposed to be at the center of the whole spying scandal. He's like, there's no spying scandal. Whatever. At me, bro. At me, Welcome back to the Buck Sexton Show, everybody. I've been telling you about the Sam Nunberg Express. He has been calling into show after show. He is openly defying a subpoena from the special counsel. Bob Mueller's team, he's saying, sorry, not going to comply. Is this civil disobedience or is this just some kind of plea for attention or what? I don't know. I know, Sam, we couldn't get him on, and I realize now why. He is on CNN right now. Let's go to what they're saying. Similar messages. What do you say to them?
1: I mean, is this a hit job, or is
0: there something wrong?
1: No, I don't care what they say. I think it's fine. You know what? I really could care less what the the Trump White House has to say about me. They have a president, as you know. What was your poll that you produced last week, Aaron? What is he at, 38%? You're talking about his approval rating? Yeah, his approval rating. So any of them... To criticize me, I could tell you, if Roger and me were in there, Trump would be at fifty-five percent. Roger Stone. Yes, Roger Stone. So what, what, whatever they want to say, they could say whatever they want about me. I don't care. Once again, I would say they're doing a terrible job for him, and they've been doing a terrible job in perpet- They've been doing a terrible job since he's mm-hmm. been elected. Are they trying to do some coordinated hit job on you by reaching out to reporters? And saying really, those things about your state of mind today, I, I don't know. have to. Respond, I don't know. This is the not, first obviously. thing. I've, this is the first time I've heard about this. They, they're more than. They can do whatever they want. Well, I wanted to give you a chance to respond to it because it is something people are talking about, and I think yeah, it's well, important. The they have a chance about to it, respond. Aaron, to come say. on. I, I want to um, ask him my, about my what he's going to do when to Mueller say comes. That Sarah Huckabee is a terrible press officer. That Trump has a 38% approval he's turning rating. turning into
2: him crashing that from
1: people? The Republicans are going to lose the House in the midterms, and that's a fact. And they can say whatever they want about me. They've treated Roger and me terribly. Now, Roger won't say that. Roger. No, he won't. As a matter of fact, that's not what he said at all today. He referred when we reached out to him about what you've been saying, right, that he's been treated terribly. I'm
2: just going to look at yeah, up what it his exact said.
1: quote. Uh, he said... Um, that I was I want
2: to know about part the of the Mueller Trump, Trump campaign campaign. I don't want to hear and about and what, been the, the president.: they're making this about the infighting that. in the White yeah, House, yeah, and he, that's he not he as interesting.:
1: Yeah, and he, and, 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 but president. he was but he was. And the minute, the minute your former colleague by the way it's a, it, by the way to me, it's a joke that your network hired him, but the minute your former colleague um, your former colleague was hired. who are, who are you talking about?: Cory Lewandowski.: OK. Okay. Former a bit, campaign chief.
2: Former campaign chief yeah, mm-hmm. campaign chief. Uh
1: which was a joke in itself. I mean after all right, he was right. so, getting. So
2: this is now they're just airing they're just airing him trashing everybody who worked for Trump, that's not him. Now this just seems like bitterness. Sam, should've, he should have he should have called in here, man. Look, I know it's not it's not TV, it's not CNN, but he'd be way um he'd be way better off calling in here. So that would have been smarter, um, but nonetheless, he's on CNN right now, and they're just trying to—they're just going to use this as sound bites of "oh, Trump is his people are so bad and everything else." None of this is interesting to me. What was interesting was he's saying the special counsel's a joke. I'm not going to comply. Will not comply. That—that would—if he—if he followed through on that, that's an interesting conversation, because hey, at least he'd be a guy putting his money where his mouth is, or his risking his freedom, perhaps, um, with uh, an objection to what Mueller's doing and all that stuff. So, anyway, we'll keep an eye on this. If there's anything else that is worthwhile, I will let you know. Um, But now they're using this. I feel bad because now they're just exploiting Sam's state of mind and everything else to just have him just attack Trump people. And it's not... uh, the initial story was about, I don't, I don't care what Mueller says. I'm not going to do it. That's interesting to me because I think we're, we're reaching a point here where we're all getting sick of the Mueller probe. We are sick of the constant leaks to the media, the drip, drip, drip of, oh, uh, they're looking at this. They're looking at that. Notice how they look at things all the time, but very few of them ever come to anything, right? The special counsel is always looking at things and then nothing happens. And the only stuff that does happen is either lying to investigators, which happens because of the Mueller probe in the first place, or things from years and years ago that have to do with Gates and Manafort's taxes and non-Trump-related business. That's all we got so far. Oh, and some Russian troll factory stuff. Woo. Big deal. Big deal. Let me just get back into uh, a little bit of an update here on the Mueller probe where it stands right now. Uh, th- this is I mentioned the last hour, we should hit it again for a moment. There if there was ever a need for an independent counsel, to me it would be an investigation that goes to the very independence and possible politicization of the Department of Justice itself. Right? That's much more important than an independent there was no reason the DOJ couldn't look into Russian interference as it as it was constituted before the special counsel. They could have indicted the 13 Russians. There wasn't need for special counsel for any of that. So why do we have it? Oh, that's right, because of Comey's firing and the media demanded it, and Republicans got a little weak in the knees. Republicans in the, well, appointee positions, people like Jeff Sessions. Look, Sessions' recusal, I think, was a mistake. And the way he's been playing this all along is a guy who thinks he's playing by country club rules with good faith on all sides, and he is in a street fight, and he doesn't really get that. Doesn't make it, doesn't make Sessions a bad guy, doesn't make him an ethical guy. I think he's uh, quite ethical, and I think he's a good public servant. He actually seeks to serve the public. Right? Sessions is not a shameless, self-aggrandizing grandstander. Nonetheless, he may not be the guy to deal with the realities of a department of justice that was weaponized and a media apparatus that is working towards one purpose and one purpose only and that is the destruction of the trump administration and the removal of the president from office that's it they don't care about reporting on other things if they can report on something that is negative about trump and that will hurt the administration that will bring them bring them down and the doj and the fbi have lost a lot of credibility here they are slow rolling this whole thing uh, Byron york, byron york actually over at washington examiner had some good comments about this clinton campaign and the democratic national committee paid for an operation
1: in which kremlin connected russians supplied damaging information about donald trump that dossier ended up being used by the FBI to get that uh, warrant. And I think one of the things you're seeing both with Nunes and with Trey Gowdy is a frustration with Congress's ability to investigate this because they've been
2: trying for quite a while, many months now, and they've been stonewalled at various times by the Justice Department or the FBI. Someone's going to have to explain to me how it's possible for a branch for the executive branch or an agency within the executive branch to tell both Congress and the top of the executive branch, sorry, we're not going to provide that information. Doesn't seem like there's a lot of accountability inside the Department of Justice the moment that the investigation becomes political. Doesn't seem like we can get the answers we need to know what's really happening here. And I, I think I'm at the point now where, you know what, if we're going to have an investigation that's just going to drag on forever, looking at Russia, Trump collusion that never happened We might as well have an investigation that looks at, well, what really happened in the DOJ during the Trump presidency? One that can get answers under threat of subpoena, under threat of contempt of court, right? That's what Mueller's got. Maybe we should have somebody that gets to ask the questions who's not just on an anti-Trump crusade. Maybe we should have somebody that just says, you know what, the FBI doesn't get to, you know, wash its own laundry anymore. The special counsel is looking at Trump, looking at people in his orbit, but somehow getting answers about what happened with McCabe and Comey and Sally Yates, just rank partisans. I mean, these people were obvious in their anti-Trump machinations behind the scenes. And we get delay and delay. That seems to be one of the primary, uh, primary indicators of this or primary features of this whole investigation. They slow the whole thing down. Um, By the way, there was a moment there when I was on the air when when Nunberg was literally on CNN live and was appearing on Fox. For I mean, he is this guy's taking over the news cycle tonight. And it's who knew, man. I remember sitting down with Sam years ago having a drink. I I never would have thought here we are. But then again, the the era of the Trump presidency in so many ways is, shall we say, full of firsts and uh, often unexpected We've learned to expect the unexpected.
0: (laughs) Say, Sarah, that's the third briefing. You've not taken a question from CNN. Do you expect the Justice Department to enforce all subpoenas, Sarah? Thank you, boy.
2: Jim Acosta getting a little little sassy, a little feisty there at the White House press briefing. By the way, they're, they're going live the whole hour with Sam Nunberg on CNN. That's what they're doing, folks. They're literally sitting down in prime time on CNN and it's all Nunberg all the time. That's what they're doing. So, wow. I guess Sam just didn't have time for me tonight. I'm going to tell him. I'm very upset, Sam. Uh, but in response to Acosta, who, as you know, was, was very agitated there that they hadn't gotten a question in a few briefings, because, you know, CNN's used to the Obama administration, which is They're used to the access. They're used to being treated like they're better and different from other journalists. And Acosta tweeted out, Third press briefing in a row that press secretary did not take a question from CNN. Hashtag courage. Sarah Huckabee Sanders, from her official account, responded just just now, folks. Courage isn't taking a question from CNN, Jim. Courage is combat veterans Sergeant Peck and Staff Sergeant Dwyer The two heroes who were at the briefing earlier, hashtag, it's not about you. Damn. Ooh. That is Sarah Huckabee Sanders. So, there you go. Sarah Huckabee Sanders just gave Jim Acosta a buck slap. And, and he's got, fi- I mean, he's got fingerprints on his face after that one. That was rough. All right, we got some uh, callers who wanted to weigh in here. Uh, let's take Dave in Highlands, New Jersey. Hey, Dave.
0: Hey there, uh, Buck. Uh, Shields, hi. How are you?
2: Shields, hi. I'm good. Thank you for the call.
0: Oh, I'm, I'm glad to do it, uh, my friend. Hey, look. I started the uh, broadcast tonight with that uh, hilarious overreaction by the the Democrats about uh, Trump making that joke, you know, about uh, being a dictator for life and all that. And I couldn't help but thinking um, not only about Obama's uh, pen and his phone, but he's the one who did DACA in the first place, which is entirely unconstitutional and bypassed Congress. But it got even better. I, I, I just remembered that Sheila Jackson Lee and Frederica Wilson, the, the crazy hat lady, they did this um, – thing called the Full Employment Caucus to basically write executive orders for Obama to sign to circumvent the uh, newly uh, uh, Republican-formed Congress. Dave, can I I
2: just jump in for a second? the, The press were cheering President Obama's logic that because Congress would not do what he said, he had some extra constitutional right to just do it anyway. Remember, if Congress will not act, I will. The press were cheering that which is really the definition of slow-moving autocracy, right, or of incremental autocracy. Congress won't do what I want, so I'll just do it as president. That's crazy.
0: A tyranny is okay as long as they do it. It's just hilarious.
2: Yeah, no, it's true, and that, that's what was going on there, and the Obama administration did. I mean, the, the notion that we are somehow saddled with DACA, which I know is expiring, and maybe we'll talk about that later, and J, uh, Dave Shields, hi, thank you so much for the call. They we're saddled with DACA because Obama did it. It was unconstitutional then. But now that it's been done, judges will keep it under the premise that it is somehow constitutional and within the discretion of the executive branch. That's just bonkers. The second time I've used bonkers today. Um, let's take uh, Marcus in, oh, from up north, Winnipeg, Canada. Hey, Marcus. Greetings, Mr. Sexton. Greetings from Canada. Greetings, my, my brother to the north. How are you?
1: I'm good. I I listened to the uh, the show on um Omaha KFAB actually. Oh, so fantastic. Oh, one of our wonderful oh, affiliates.
2: Lo- love KFAB. Thank you for calling in.
1: Yeah, no problem. This is this is like so 4 days ago, but you asked last week for people to come up with names for the uh the new Russian secret weapons that Putin announced. And so I came up with uh, it seemed funnier at the time, but USAF uh uh, practice training drone number one and practice training drone number
2: two. Well, I like where your heads at, Marcus. I like where your heart is on this. one. <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure yeah. you're going to win the naming contest with those, but you know what, buddy? I like the try. I like yeah. the effort. All right, shield tie. Shield time, man. Thank you so much, Marcus. Marcus. So listening in, in on in uh, Omaha, but from Canada, he seemed like a he's very nice, very nice fellow, very polite. But I was thinking with Canadians, very nice. Um, so. Where was I on all this? Oh, my. It is quite it has been quite a day in the news. By the way, the the Democrats do not want to do anything on DACA. I've been saying this all along, and this is probably a subject that we will revisit tomorrow on the show. Um, But here's uh, the RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, on just the Democrats are, in fact, on immigration, on, on DACA. They are full of it, too.
0: The president has led on immigration. He really has. Putting forward this deal with a pathway to citizenship for 1.8 million dreamers, the biggest ever deal Democrats would have jumped at under President Obama. And it shows how disingenuous the Democrats are. They don't want to work with this president on any issue, even if it's uh, good for people they're claiming to represent.
2: So this was supposed to be the deadline today, right? March. I'm assuming today's March 5th, right? Yes, it is. I forget the date sometimes. This is, it happens. I forget what day of the week. Last week, I was like, Mike, John, is today Thursday? Because I forgot, and I was panicking for a moment. But it was Thursday, so that was good. Um, But today was supposed to be the day that the DACA program was going to end. But you know what? The Never Trump judiciary kicked in instead. So what is an executive program has now been hijacked by leftist judges who say that, no, in fact, Trump can't just not continue the program that his predecessor, Obama, started. You don't need to be a lawyer to understand that the grounds for this are, well, there are no grounds for this. Uh, it is nonsensical, but it is a policy preference masquerading as judicial decision. That's what's really happening here. The judges like DACA. There was even a shout out last night. No surprise, but a... Uh, a not subtle shout out to dreamers at the Oscars. We're gonna we're gonna trash the Oscars together in just a couple minutes here, and I won't I won't stay it long because I know a lot of you're like Buck. Who watches the Oscars? The answer is me. A little bit of it, so I can make fun of it later. It was so boring; it's almost hard to make fun of, which is really saying something. But there was a shout out to DACA and to dreamers because they're now that's now a part of left wing culture you know, that there are illegal aliens that are owed. Oat uh, permanent legal status in the United States. What do we tell legal immigrants who are still waiting to go through the process? What do we tell legal immigrants who've just gotten through the process and spent hundreds of hours and thousands of dollars and many years of their uh, of waiting in terms and in, in addition to the years of labor to get through the process? What do we tell them? You should have just come here and stayed here and been illegal. I, I just think we don't tell them much at all. So, that's where we are with DACA right now. That judges have kept it going, even though it is an it is explicitly an executive branch discretion based program. Uh, people talk about institutions losing uh, losing credibility under the Trump administration as though that's Trump's fault. Look what the look what courts are doing to themselves. They're showing themselves to be full of partisan hacks with no appreciation or respect for the law. And the DACA ruling is just another example of that. All right, let's bash the Oscars together after this. It's going to be fun. It'll be cathartic. Stay with me.
1: Frank, we wash our own laundry. Here we go. Now you could be brought up in charges of this. I always thought so.
2: <laughs> Frank, we wash our own laundry. <laughs> there you go. Uh, gray line from Serpico. That I mentioned in the first hour, if you're missing it there. So we uh, we played it for you. And I sound just like the guy. I don't know what to tell you. It's just the truth. I sound just like him. You know, I'm a man of many voices over here. Man of many voices. Uh, where, where was I? Oh, yeah. Speaking of voices. Um, the uh, Oscars last night. So here's how it went. I was not excited to watch it. And I was like, you know, Miss Molly... I don't know if I want to, she want to watch, look, she works in fashion, so she kind of has to watch the red carpet, actually, because it it matters for her business. Fashion, uh, that's probably the, for a lot of folks from a commercial aspect, one of the more important parts of the whole night is the red carpet situation. So Miss Molly says, you know, let's watch and we're going to be together. I said, all right, fine. I don't know, maybe. And then she says, well, what if I make you a giant tray of bacon wrapped blue cheese dates as a snack? and i said well i thought we we're going to have salads for dinner and she said yeah but i'll just make some bacon wrapped blue cheese as a snack and you know what she's very smart cuz she tricked me cuz i said okay i'll watch the oh, well, okay i'll watch the oscars now cuz i've got a big tray of bacon with blue cheese and dates so it's like sweet and salty i'm excited it was great stuff man i felt a little bit like homer simpson though, at the end of it
0: Mmm, sixty-four slices of American cheese. Sixty-four. Sixty-three. That's
2: pretty much how it went. I I was uh, eating bacon wrapped date after bacon wrapped date, and by the time I got to the end of it, I realized i had probably eaten a pound of bacon. But it was—I didn't have any other meal last night. I, that, so that part of the Oscars watching was great. Uh, eating all that bacon, man, it felt it, it was good. I felt a little bit lethargic later on in the night but it was good but here's what we saw from the how uh, from the oscars of there they're just some some broad spectrum thoughts first of all it's it's amazing that there could be such a concentration of very wealthy very famous people who are in the in a creative business and are so boring and so predictable and so bad at what they're doing here I mean, with all the—I mean, there was a guy who was from the Motorcycle Diaries, which is a a, a unbelievably skewed a historical inter. I mean, it's a hagiography of uh, Che Guevara, right? Ernesto Che, which means like dude Guevara. And the Motorcycle Diaries was that was is about young Che, and they get this very charismatic, uh, you know, handsome Latin American actor to play him. He last night did some song from one of it, and the guy was completely off key the whole time, or at least in the, for the first few minutes that he was singing. I'm like, this is the best, this is the best that we can do here, folks, for the Oscars. Really, this is what we've got. This is all they can come up with. And the worst part of it all was really Jimmy Kimmel, who goes into this nasty slash preachy mode. And he's neither boring nor interesting when he does it. I don't know if he's ever particularly funny because I keep seeing him. And remember, these are people that they are they're delivering jokes written by other folks. So there shouldn't be all that hard. And I remember Jimmy Kimmel when he was doing stuff that people thought was funny. And it was really actually uh, very sexist, you recall, at the man show. Um, there were segments about women just bouncing on trampolines. And Jimmy Kimmel did a whole thing, What's in My Pants? That was one of his... One of his gags that he would do on the the street, walk up a stranger's, ladies on the street and say, what's in my pants? Guess what's in my pants? And and now they're all, you know, oh, Hollywood and time's up and time's out and, you know, all this stuff, right? Uh, Me too. It was amazing that they were so preachy and so self-indulgent in front of millions, tens of millions of people. I think it's, they estimate it's like close to between half a, half a billion and a billion around the world that watch it because there's a big international audience for the Oscars because somehow we still dominate Hollywood still dominates the global film industry even though Hollywood's just churning out crap these days and there's some good stuff I know but a lot of really bad stuff I remember back in the 90s I feel like the Oscars you know you had the, the movies that were up for movies that were up for things like Best Picture you had Braveheart and Schindler's List and I know it didn't win but Saving Private Ryan actually lost to Shakespeare in Love that year Um, The Pianist I mean really just amazing films and this year the stuff that's up there you're just like what's happened? Is it just that TV's gotten so much better and so much more of the talent and money is going to short form shorter form stuff with television and serial dramas instead of Going into these big budget films. I know people say Black Panther's amazing and I want to see that. And I've heard that's very, very good. I also want to see A Darkest Hour, the Churchill movie. But some of the other stuff that was up there, I, I couldn't even make it through the show. And I was lying on a couch being fed bacon by a beautiful woman. And I could not make it through the show. That tells you how boring it was. It was just, you're like, what, what is this? I mean, wh- you know, th- this is... The, the people are not the, the. A lot of the presenters are not particularly charming. They're not funny. They're just you know, uh, it's like a basically in a four hour long fashion show. Uh, at least at fashion shows, they play really loud music, from what I understand. So there's that, and then there's the best picture, which I did not see yet. But I'm oh wait, before I get the best picture, he, he, here's a, a classic, a classic, a classic example of what Jimmy Kimmel thinks in a moment when. We would hope you could just celebrate the arts and film and it would be a bipartisan, not a political preach fest. Here's what Jimmy Kimmel goes for.
1: Of the nine best picture nominees, only two of them made more than one hundred million dollars. But that's not the point. We don't make films like Call Me By Your Name for money. We make them to upset Mike Pence.
2: (laughs) Why Why is it? Well, I got to bring Pence in. You notice not laughing with Pence. He's mocking Mike Pence. He, he, He is deriding Mike Pence. That's not meant to be like if Pence were in the audience, he could laugh too and feel good about it. That's he's taking a cheap shot made worse by the fact that it was blatantly unfunny. It's just not a funny line. But I also thought a bit more about it. And here's what you've got. On the one hand, you have Hollywood doing this whole wringing uh, r- of its hands and oh we're, we're coming to grips with the Weinstein effect and the and the decades of exploitation um, which I, I would be willing to bet folks that nothing really changes in Hollywood okay and we, we are in one moment right now where some stories have come forward but a lot of people are going to abuse their power and a lot of people are going to allow power to be abused if it gets them ahead too that's going to continue in Hollywood that's not changing anytime soon so let's be let's be adults about this. Let's be real about this, as I know you are. But a lot of that Hollywood audience last night, oh, look, they're, they're, it's all changing. All the speeches from these multimillionaire actresses. Oh, yeah, it's all different now. We're all together, sure. We'll see how long that lasts. That's one part of it. But also notice how they're making fun of Mike Pence. And they're clearly, it's a, it's a whole room full of people who are very anti-Trump. But they make fun of Pence because he would have an objection to call me by your name which correct me if i'm wrong producer mike isn't call me by your name about a same sex uh sexual relationship where one party is underage is that i I'm, i haven't seen it so i have just but that is correct right one party is underage so notice how the the left with the whole with the accusations with with roy moore and all that they were just They were they were out for the annihilation of Moore based on those on those accusations. And. Any underage sexual activity is disgraceful and illegal and terrible and wrong. So that's we're all clear on that. And in the case of Roy Moore, he denied it. People said they believed him. some people didn't. A lot of people didn't. Whatever the the point is on that, they were the left and Hollywood and the media were all in. Uh, the the posture of this is an unforgivable sin and even if he says he's innocent we don't believe him and it just strikes me as strange that then they make a movie that in some way or another must kind of celebrate an underage relationship and then they're making a joke about how Mike Pence wouldn't like it I'm, I'm just conf- I, I'm missing the where's the principle here is that, is is a an underage relationship something that Hollywood understands is morally reprehensible and needs to, and it's not only illegal, but is is a wrong and exploitative and unethical? Well, if there's a Republican they can bash that is tied to one in some way or that is accused of something like that, then they're very clear. But then they, I know it's, a fi- it's fiction, it's a movie, but what's the message they're sending? Seems strange to me. Seems strange that anyone would want to make a movie that and, I, and I, ha, I have not seen it. I just know what the plot line is. But that seems very weird to me. Uh, I'm confused that they... Well, I'm not confused. I'm just... I'm thinking aloud on this one. And then it gets even weirder, folks. I will credit some of my fellow conservatives pointing this out last night. Hollywood's best picture for this past year is a movie about a woman who has a disability who is deaf, but a, a, a woman who I have not seen it but this is what I was told is in the film so you can correct me if I'm wrong the best picture for this past year was a woman who has sex with a fish she has a relationship with a with a non-human fish creature that has humanoid you know that strikes me as very weird and that weird that we don't think that that's weird uh I'm I'm missing do you think it's a little weird john I think it's a little weird. It's I say, it's all about that. But does that happen? Is there a relationship between is it a physical relationship between a woman and a non-human that is a fish of some kind? I, I, I'm look, I'm not saying shut it down. I'm not yelling for censorship here. That just strikes me as weird. You know, it's one thing to have a bond, you know, like, you know, people are going to have bonds with their pets or whatever, but there are lines. No, I know they don't show it. Good God. But I'm just saying that that is part of the. John, I mean, buddy, I I'm, I'm, i didn't see it. You're telling me you did. I was told that there is a there's a romantic relationship between a woman and a sea monster. OK, that is weird, folks. It's just weird. It, you know. It's one thing for somebody to have a relationship where, like, with their magic dragon that they fly around on or whatever, but it's not like a romantic relationship. This is weird. And I, know, and I know it's the best picture. I know we're supposed to believe it. This is totally normal. But no, take a step back. We had two of the biggest movies last night in Hollywood that they are being celebrated. One is about a relationship with an underage person, and another is about a relationship with a fish-like humanoid thing. You know, I'm not exactly a Puritan over here, folks, but, but I, this all strikes me as a little something's funky. That's all I'm saying. Something's funky. What is that funky smell? <laughs> this Bucks version of the, uh, the Oscars, ranking the Oscars. Um, oh, when I come back, I've got to talk about Get Out, which is the worst movie ever made. Uh, we'll be back. Stay with me.
1: In the meantime, triple congratulations are in order for the kid from Comedy Central, Jordan Peele, who had a huge success... This his movie, Get Out, Gordon is only the third person in 90 years to be nominated for directing, writing, and Best Picture for his debut film. And what, what a debut it was. None other than President Trump called Get Out the best first three quarters of a movie this year.
2: Get Out uh, was terrible. I, saw, I, I stopped watching after about an hour. But it was uh, it was a garbage movie, and that it was a huge box office hit doesn't change the fact in my mind that it was a bad movie. I just don't think. Uh, w- what's the message supposed to be? What's it really about? I mean, it's not a it's not a fun storyline to watch. It's the whole thing. I think is just abominable. I thought it was terrible, and the, the Academy was just sucking up to it last night so much, and uh, it is troubling um, that. There are such bad movies that get so much attention and so much in the way of accolades. Uh, look, you know, the Hollywood liberalism thing is, we all understand it's there, right? The left wing dominance of Hollywood is long established. I don't need to waste your time by trying to hammer home that that is in fact the case. But I just can't imagine anybody would watch that movie get out and think that it's a good movie. I don't, I don't know how that's possible. It's so bad. It's just not good. I, you know, I, I don't. And are people afraid? Oh, that's the thing. Are people afraid to say that it's not a good movie? I don't know a lot of you are like Buck. I haven't seen it, but those of you who have, do we feel like we're we have to say it's a good movie? Because of, what it's supposed to be a, uh, a a confrontation of racism. I mean, the movie has uh, has black people who have been. Wh- I can't even really remember. I mean, like, to be fair, I actually left before the, or I turned it off before the very end because I was like, this is the worst thing I've ever seen. But they're, um, they're having their brains cut out and replaced with the other people's brains, right? Isn't that what happens at the end? I don't know. There's something, you guys don't know. Have you seen it? It's, in the beginning, there's clearly, there, there's, uh, well, not the beginning, in the first hour or so, there's, you know, there's some stuff that's supposed to be highlighting racism or whatever, but, uh, at the end, you got a bunch of white people that are trying to kill uh, the black protagonist, and it's just the whole thing is a mess. I don't know. I just think it's a terrible movie. I don't understand why. any, I don't know. This is one of those. A lot of the times, folks, I'll I'll hear things, or, or we'll be talking about, especially in the area of art and movies and whatnot. I'll I'll take all opinions, and you know I'm wrong sometimes. I get it. I told somebody recently. I think a lot of black and white movies are uh, are overrated. You know, older movies are older rated, overrated and uh, and he was looked at me like i was a space alien so i'm wrong sometimes i get that but on this one i, I don't understand how there's even two opinions on this it's just what's up yeah but i meant old i meant old movies i mean movies from you know the before color uh, color movies color film was an option i just think that it's i think that are, i think people overrate them we have a nostalgia for black i know i'm gonna, everyone's going to yell at me now oh gosh the inbox is going to be full of how could you Hitchcock, blah, blah, blah. How could you? I know, I know. It's fine. Uh, coming up in the next hour, we're going to talk about the U.S. Uh, putting an aircraft carrier off of Vietnam in a friendly way. It'll be the first time we've had an aircraft carrier dock in Vietnam since the war. We'll get into that also, and what it means, why we're cozying up to some of these countries and uh, what it has to do with China. We'll also talk about uh, a new fashion trend that I can tell you I am on the forefront of, and I'm sure many of you are as well. Dad fashion. It's gonna be very exciting. And some of you are actually dads, though, unlike me, so it's even cooler. We'll be right back. Welcome to hour three of the Buck Sexton Show. Let's get into some national security.
0: You are now entering the Freedom Hut Tactical Operations Center. All sensitive programs must be kept strictly
2: need to know. Clear. Team Buck is cleared. Roger that. And ready for the Buck Brief. So you have the first time a U.S. aircraft carrier has anchored off of Vietnam since the Vietnam War. This is symbolic of a thaw in relations, much closer relations, between the United States and Vietnam. It is also a continuing uh, part of a strategy that we have to box in Chinese territorial and maritime, predominantly maritime, actually, ambitions. So we had an embargo on arms for Vietnam all the way up until 2016, I believe. We normalized relations with Vietnam in uh, 1996, I think, but you can fact check me on the date. It was definitely in the 90s. But now we see them as an ally in the region, and we are having increasingly... Uh, close cooperation with them they have political repression and there's still some there's lots of internal problems but they want to be a good trading partner the vietnamese uh, want greater prosperity for their people and they also need big strong serious allies like the u.s to deal with to help them deal with the fact that china is in a base race right now Uh, This is where you get into the South China Sea and the conflicts there. There's the East uh, East China Sea, the South China Sea. The Chinese understand that if they're going to go from being a regional power to a regional hegemon and then eventually a global power and global superpower, they need to expand well beyond uh, their coastal waters. They need to have a, a very large and established Blue Water Navy presence, and also want bases for commercial and military purposes stretching, well, deep into the Pacific and all the way to Africa. Let me deal with the South China Sea and Pacific facing component of this first. The U.S. and our allies in East Asia and Southeast Asia know that China is going to become increasingly assertive. And so these countries, they're often referred to as the literal for L-I-T-T-O-R-A-L, the literal states of Asia, like the Philippines, like Vietnam, Japan, South Korea is a peninsula, so it's not technically an island, but these are Asian states, Taiwan, of course, that we hope create a counterbalance to Chinese expansionism and ambitions. So a strong relationship with all of those countries allows us to create this cordon that will effectively box in Chinese territorial ambitions. This is because we don't want China, for example, to find itself feeling free to set up bases way out in the Pacific, you know, the U.S. equivalent of having something like Guam, right? We don't want China to start setting up further and further into the Pacific, projecting its force. And this is where you get into the realities of whether we can just look at our relationship with China as cooperative or competitive, because at some point we're going to we're going to have to understand or accept that there will be some zero sum aspects to the relationship in the future. We can't allow China to just replace our influence and also uh, counterbalance all of our military advantages. Right. We can't allow that to happen. We want to try to work on this chessboard against them so that we don't find ourselves at a military and commercial disadvantage. And that's where states like Vietnam, South Korea, Taiwan, Japan, etc. That is where they come in. Now, keep in mind, China's also trying to vie for influence with all of them. Right. So there's there's a lot of moving pieces here. Uh, but China wants to use the bases that it has in the South China Sea, it wants to continue to build up these islands, including artificial islands, and use those as uh, its forward operating bases, its its outposts of Chinese power and influence, so that it becomes the predominant power in the South China Sea and beyond. And this is when, when you look at where most of the world's maritime traffic is occurring, it's actually in that band uh, that is sometimes referred to as the the string of pearls approach for China, but it goes from the South China Sea, it stretches into the Indian Ocean, and goes all the way up into the Arabian Sea or the Persian Gulf. Uh, that's where you have a tremendous amount of, obviously, oil, uh, a tremendous amount of commerce going on, and you look at the Straits of Malacca. Some of these parts of maritime geography we need to be familiar with, and, and there's a very profound strategic uh, advantage to having control there now we they we want an open sea we just want open commerce the chinese you know they may in the future decide that they want an, they want an open sea but they also want greater control uh, so we are in an influence uh, we're, we're in a situation where we're trying to gather more influence and so are they so we are in a competition with them now the chinese have been setting up now not just these most famously, the bases in the South China Sea, uh, and they've set up an airstrip. And the uh, Senkaku, they have disputes over the Senkaku Islands or the Dayu Islands, the Paracel Islands. they are all these little island chains. And that's because they want to have pieces of China, if you will, that are hundreds and hundreds of miles from Chinese mainland shores. Uh, then they also want to stretch out into the Indian Ocean. They're going to come into more of a at least a commercial competition and i know that there's good aspects of this for india but India and china are going to find themselves at a at a crossroads in the future because china wants to be the predominant power in the indian ocean as well uh, and that's why they're setting up relationships with uh, african countries and 70 uh, percent of chinese fuel comes from the mid-east and so they want to make sure that they have a completely secure supply line. And that means, as I said, the string of pearls approach for China, meaning that it's the, the South China Sea and the surrounding waters through what is the, you know, the Straits of Malacca and through Southeast Asia, and then connecting into the Indian Ocean and then all the way up into the Persian Gulf or Arabian Gulf, whichever. Um, that, is their, that is in their strategic interest, and they're going to fight to make sure... Are they going to push, Fight might be too strong, to make sure they have free access to that? So interesting that we were in um, Vietnam today with an aircraft carrier and uh, a bit of a goodwill tour, but also now we're going to be selling munitions to Vietnam, and uh, things are going to be heating up in this part of the world. Things The pivot to Asia is going to become very real to us in the years ahead. All right, I'll be back in uh, just a few minutes, your team. Stay with me. Before I move on to my other topic, which is, I found out this weekend that I am actually quite fashionable. Don't laugh, Producer Mike and Producer John. It's true. I'll tell you about it. This is according to the folks who know things. I just wanted to note, though, that uh, I'm actually a big uh, proponent of, if you get the chance, traveling to Vietnam. I know I mentioned it today in our buck brief. Uh, It's it's an incredible place. I will say, just by, by way of full disclosure, I... I think Vietnamese food is incredible. It's actually one of my favorite foods, um, which if you've had good Vietnamese food, you, you'll know why. Uh, it's it's incredible. I really like it. And having traveled, I traveled with my little brother some years ago to Thailand and Vietnam. We had a great bro trip. Um, but the, look, Thailand is great. There's, there's beautiful beaches, but it's very uh, built up. A lot of Westerners coming and going. Vietnam has had an explosion of tourism recently, but- it's still much less, feels much less changed in a lot of ways, and um, it's a really interesting place to go. I'm telling you, and the beach there. I was at Nha Trong, uh on the beach there, which reminded me a little bit of South Beach in Miami. It's really, really beautiful, and uh, if you like to, you know, get out and see a, a vibrant culture that's really different from uh, from anywhere else, then I, I would highly recommend Vietnam. There are some other strange things, though, that you have to get accustomed to. I went to the war museum there of the Vietnam War, and it is an experience to see a communist regime's version of what the Vietnam War, uh, that obviously they fought against us, what, what that was all about. And there's a lot about uh, American war crimes and American uh, destruction and aggression and they they view it as an invasion and we just bomb bombed uh, millions of people it was really you see this from this from their perspective and obviously they give a very skewed version of it but nonetheless it's not something you'll, you'll not something you'll catch in the UK or anywhere you know what I mean you don't see a you don't see a museum dedicated in large part to American to what they say are American war crimes and and by the way, in that museum, they they put stuff up there that you will you would not see in a lot of other museums. I think it's uh, it's pretty graphic, but it's a, just a really interesting country to be in. I, I found the people uh, incredibly uh, pleasant and helpful. Um, it's tough if sometimes getting around actually because there's not a lot of. It's not like other places where you go where there's English speakers everywhere. Uh, you can sometimes find yourself really outside the uh, outside the lines of where most tourists go and you know that that can be an issue but anyway i mostly just love the food i love vietnamese food you're finding out something about me pho pho is how it's spelled here is is incredible there's a whole bunch of other stuff i would start trying to pronounce the different food names for you but but we actually um don't want to i don't want to make a mockery of myself because i have no idea how to pronounce these things i'm actually at the point at the menu level with most of it i'm like i want that thing that i know is is delicious. So I just put it out there for you. I think visiting Vietnam is something that's uh well worth doing if you get the chance. It's a pretty beautiful country and it's uh has not yet gotten completely overrun by globalization. So that's there's good and bad. I mean I wouldn't drink the tap water, you know, there's there's some of that. What you know one of Buck's rules now is that Buck does not first of all, Buck should not refer to himself in the third person. I should start with that. But also, uh, I don't like to go to places where you can't drink the uh, tap water. That's, that's become a thing for me. And with that, I will switch now. Just now that I've made my little pitch for how Vietnam is really cool, um, I found out this weekend that I'm, uh, I'm fashionable, which was a bit of a shock. i not going to lie to you. But here's the good news, folks. A lot of you listening to this, I bet, are quite fashionable, too. That's because right now, and I'm talking about the runways in Paris, my friend. Mais oui, bien sûr, merveilleux, fantastique. The runways in Paris are going with what is being called dad style. Did you guys know this? Dad chic is now in fashion. I am serious. What I have been wearing for years out of habit and laziness is now cool. It's like I have some stock that I invested in 20 years ago, and all of a sudden it's like, make it a run, you know? Uh, you know what's cool now guys? Jeans that are comfortable, not particularly fitted and not particularly stylish. Just jeans, aka dad jeans. Boat shoes. Boom. I just I just dropped the drop the mic, right? You couldn't hear it, but there was a mic drop that happened. Cuz boat shoes are now stylish. With or without socks? Sometimes I want to rock the socks. I don't need my little toes to be cold. Sometimes I want my toes to feel all warm and toasty, as a dad would, right? You gotta set a good example for the kids. If it's a little hot outside, you know, I'm a wild man. I'll go that's right, I'll go bearskin in those in those uh Sperry's, my topsiders. I should I would love to get sperry as a sponsor of the show, actually, because I could legitimately say I have had their shoes on my feet in one form or another. I, I think I, mean, I think there are photos of me when I was eight with spares on. So and I've I've got them now. I may have five pairs in my closet right now because I never throw them out until they actually fall apart. Anyway, bow shoes. That's what I'm trying to say. They don't have to be spares though. That's my favorite. Bow shoes, very fashionable right now. Old windbreaker. Boom. I mean, I'm really more of a fleece guy, like an old an old fleece from North Face or one of those one of those companies. Marmot. I like Marmot because it's a small. Cute, furry animal. Uh, but they make great stuff, too. But that's now... Th- uh, guys, I'm not saying it's okay to wear this stuff. I'm saying there are literally fashion models in Paris walking... It was in the Wall Street Journal. Dad's style is now in fashion. Yes, even the jeans. Uh, so let's just understand, everybody. Uh, I'm kind of a fashion plate, you know? I've become... Uh, now. I, now. I By the way, this also gives me a great excuse that I don't have to fight... The dad bod anymore, because you embrace the dad bod. No one can see under that windbreaker. Your Sperry's, it's not like your feet are going to get too fat for them, so that's not a problem, so I'm just going to embrace the dad bod. And the jeans, obviously, what was this skinny jeans phenomenon? This is terrible. This is a terrible thing. So I'm very excited about this, and uh, they're even telling you what classic styles to steal from your dad. For a lot of you listening, you're like, I don't need to steal from my dad's closet. That's what I wear. And I'm like, I know it's amazing. Um, oh, yeah, the fleece jacket, if you have a fleece jacket, those are very those are considered very cool right now. Professorial sport coats. Oh, I have a tweed jacket from like 15 years ago. that's two sizes too big, but I just can't get rid of it. Like I I can go re- wear that in Williamsburg now, and I'm just going to think I'm the man. Uh, super old polo shirts. Tell you guys a little secret. I even have a couple of polo shirts that, for whatever reason, they started for free monogramming the year on them. I've got a couple of polo shirts that I, I will even bring one into the office one day. They are now going on 15 years old. I have not thrown out those polo shirts, which is actually quite, a, quite an endorsement for, for Ralph Lauren, I have to say. I've got 15-year-old polo shirts. But those now, you can't even buy them. They're like gold now, my friend. They are so valuable. The old, beat-up polo. And this one gets me really excited. The Argyle sweater vest is now fashionable. Ladies, ladies, slow down. There's only so much buck to go around, right, with my Argyle sweater vest. Those are now considered very cool as well. I couldn't even believe this one. I mean, the, the wearing Ray-Bans, like, you know, aviators, obviously. The only sunglasses I've got, right? That's not a surprise at all. I think those have always been kind of cool, though. I'm, I'm going to throw a flag on that one. I don't, think that's, I don't think Ray-Bans have ever gone out of style, but this one was great. The fishing vest. Like where you would put your tackle, you know, your flies if you're a fly fisherman, your, your, your lures if you're a spinning fisherman. Um, those are now considered cool to wear for fashion. I mean, I might have to just come in with all this stuff now and show everybody how it's really done. Because I got dad jeans, fishing vests, argyle sweater, boat shoes that are really old and kind of crusty. And you're like, what's the crust in your boat shoes? Shh. It's called flavor, son. Step off. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Uh, and then there was one more on here. Oh, no, that was it. Those are were, those were all the main fashion styles. So I, I might actually have to come in with all of them. The only one I can't do is the dad cap. Canvas baseball cap. Those are very cool right now. Those are Again, folks, I'm not saying cool like I like them. I'm saying this is what Paris runways are featuring right now. Paris runways are basically like, oh, it is, we have the Buck fashion. We are going to be one after another. They'll look like Mr. Buck Sexton." It's amazing. Um, but I don't I can't do the hats cuz my head is literally too big. Not metaphorically. My head is too friggin' wide. My cranium is too large for baseball hat. People always go, it's it's one size fits all." And they're like, "Come on, buck, I got it." And they try to pull it down on my skull and I'm like, "This isn't fun for me or for you. You're just strangling my brain right now. Just stop it." They're like, "Maybe it's just the hair." I'm like, "Shh. I was right. The head's too big for the hat." As it always is. Anyway, dad style. Pff, call it Buck style. We'll be right back. Does everybody need to go to a four year college for quite a while now? I've thought the answer was no. I think that we need a rethink of this college degree paradigm in this country. Everybody's got to get a college degree or else they're going to be at this tremendous disadvantage in the workplace and they'll never get ahead and i just don't think it's true and in fact when you look at the debt load that many undergrads are finishing up their four years with it becomes increasingly clear that we need to start thinking about education at at the college level in whole new ways there is folks a trillion dollar trillion with a t Student loan debt out there right now. And I believe that one of the reasons the Bernie Sanders movement in the last election, the Sandernistas, were so comfortable going around saying that schools should be free, is they also believe by an act of government waving of the hand. The student loan debts will just be forgiven, i.e. wiped out, because the federal government has been effectively backing them for many years now. And people are graduating with tens of thousands of dollars of debt. And I think very few young folks out there understand what it means to have a debt that you carry with you. I think, and this could just be my perception, but I've had some experience with this now, Most folks hear, okay, well, I'm $30,000 in debt, but I'll just pay it off. So I'll pay it off at whatever I can, you know, year in and year out. Not understanding that the interest on that debt continues to accrue and you can be a hamster on a treadmill and it feels like you're never actually going to get off. I mean, let's say you get out of undergrad with $50,000 in debt. The APR on that is roughly 7%. 6.8, I think, is what I've seen recently. So you're three or $4,000 in the hole after taxes just to keep up with the interest on that $50,000 debt. Well, if you're making $40,000, $50,000 a year... That three or four grand post-tax is a big burden, and you're not even getting rid of the original debt. I don't think people really understand this. And when I mean, people, young kids, I know you, those of you listening that own homes and have a mortgage, you get all this, but how many 20-year-olds really understand what this is like? I'm going to be totally frank with you. I didn't understand what it was like. It wasn't until I got to the graduate school level and I was looking at taking on for a two-year MBA program, granted at a at a fancy name brand kind of institution, but I was looking at taking on easily $180,000 of debt, at least $150,000, more like $180,000. And I would have been paying interest on that hundred and eighty dollars for a very, very long time. The other part of this is that So many people are getting undergraduate degrees now that don't translate into work that uses the degree. We should be rethinking this. We should be rethinking this mantra because that's what it is. You got to go to college for four years if you want to be competitive in the workplace of today. And I just see it time and again. It's not true. I see people who look, I'm going to just put it out there. I see people go around. They got a much bigger bankroll than me and they are electricians, they are skilled welders, they're you know, th- they the ones that I see driving around in their early 30s in some of these towns and cities with a brand-new BMW and no debt on the balance sheet, right? Because they're getting paid real money to do a job. I also think that there needs to be a change in how we view later life education. Uh, I'm going to step in it here, but look, the, the truth is that until... Society understands that women and men are biologically different in that women have children and men do not and that will always put a change in the work schedule no matter what you try to do about it there's going to be some changes that occur Uh, we won't really be able to handle the reality which is that women should probably be Uh, returning to the workforce or returning for additional training later on in their in their careers. Once there's been some period of child rearing, I know some stay at home dads. There's a lot of them out there, too. I understand this. But, you know, it shouldn't be considered odd or unusual at all for a 40 or 45 year old woman to go back and finish a degree, get an additional degree. And really reenter the workforce as a fully formed adult who wants to apply her skills and productivity and, you know, has has been able to have a family. We need to look at these things, but do it with clear eyes. Full hearts can't lose. Uh, And and I I was thinking about this because of a piece in the Wall Street Journal of the weekend. Why an honor student wants to skip college and go to trade school. And it just tells one of these stories about. Uh, A young woman who is a high school junior National Honor Society member, and she likes to rebuild old cars. And she's just really good as a as a mechanic and wants to go to trade school to become a real pro and says, look, I I don't want to go to a four year undergraduate institution and study marketing or study communications or whatever, you know, English literature she says she wants to go to trade school for two years and that diesel mechanics get $80 in her market, $80 an hour. That's really nice. That's that's good money. And if you're not going to take out any serious loans to get there, you know, I, I try to, to war game out or that's too strong a term. I try to plan. There we go plan out realistically what this stuff would, would look like for someone. And in the case, uh, Rayleigh is this young woman's name. I'm looking at this and I'm saying, OK, so maybe she goes to trade school for two years, works as a very well-paid diesel mechanic. She likes to do this. She's good at it, makes 80 bucks an hour. You know, maybe she's able to maybe she's able to put away 10, 15, 20 grand after taxes, you know, create a little nest egg for herself. And I, you know, I'm not doing the math here on the fly, but let's say within you know, she within five to ten years, she's got a nice nest egg put away. Well, then maybe if she wants to consider going to state school or or adding to her education, you know, that that would be an option. Or maybe she wants to take some time off and in her 20s or 30s have a family and then go back to school. I just we, we live in an economy where dynamism and adaptability are so very, very important, but also getting the skills lined up with employer needs is critical because they can find people, right? I mean, this is, this is the way it works these days. There are always, for, for exciting and, and well, good-paying jobs, uh, there are even just good-paying jobs, there are always more people who want them than there are openings for, uh, although that's less true in some of the skilled, non traditional white collar professions. I would just like to see a change in the thinking around this. And I, I think it's a place where the Trump administration in particular could make some real headway because they don't and also school choice. I mean, this is this is where conservatives win. Because you got a couple of things. One, you have decades of left wing failure on education at the macro level. Meaning you have Outrageously expensive college tuitions now. I mean it's just insane. These schools are forty, fifty, sixty thousand dollars a year. Even a lot of state schools now are ten or fifteen grand in state. That's a lot of money. That's a lot of money. And if you look at what it was when those of you who are listening who are boomer generation know what I'm talking about, but for those of us who are millennials or Gen Xers, you look at our parents, and they were saving up money for school with summer jobs. And paying them off, or at least paying off a portion of it such that it was worthwhile to do a summer gig. Now you've got to do an unpaid internship, and you're just racking up debt, racking up debt. We are putting a lot of stress on the credit system in this country by doing things like this, but that's an even bigger discussion for another time. But public schools are no better now than they were 30 years ago in terms of overall results. Colleges and universities are no better, but they are so much more expensive than they were It's time for some new thinking here and this is where I would like to see conservatives lead and this is where I think the trump administration could really seize the uh, the high ground here and and makes him make some headway and yeah, I I still think I would have I wish I would have gone and worked for a year or two and then gone to college and really understood what a dollar meant Uh, That would have been a whole perspective shift All right, roll into a quick break here, team. I'll be right back. All right, you know it's time for all of you to have your voices heard. Let it rip. Roll call. Hey, Team Buck, it's time for roll call. Booyah. Roll call time. Let's get into it. Thank you, everybody, for uh, writing in over the weekend. It was, a, it was a busy one, but I always appreciate getting to read your thoughts on everything. So, let's get to it. Uh, Irwin. first up this week. Listen to your Friday show on podcast. My take on Trump tariffs. I've only had a remedial exposure to economics in high school and college, and as I recall, tariffs were generally frowned upon, and I would agree. In this case, however, I'm not so sure. I believe that the case Trump is making is that if we continue down the current path... We could find ourselves in a situation where we do not even have the capacity to even supply our very basic strategic defense needs if everything goes in the, quote, crapper. <laughs> if we were to go to war with China, it's not likely they'd be willing to sell us steel to build tanks or aluminum to build planes. Erwin, uh, thank you for your thoughts. China only gives us a pretty small percentage. I think it's like 12 or something, 12 percent, 15 percent of our steel needs. So... We actually get a lot of steel from Canada and from other places. So uh, the national security concerns of China giving us steel, I think, are a little bit overblown. Um, So there is that. But I I appreciate you. And remember, taxes are a tax on imports. That is what a tariff is. That is a definition, a good working and short definition of tariff. So... When we're talking tariffs, we're actually talking taxes. And who pays for taxes? We do. All right. Next up here. Ian uh, writes, uh, hey, Buck, just listen to Friday podcast. Totally get quitting movies when they're bad. I actually liked Get Out. However, the twist in Get Out is not about race at all. Also, you should watch Dunkirk. Well, Ian, uh, we're going to have to agree to disagree on Get Out because I thought it was terrible. Dunkirk I liked I saw the first 30 minutes of it but i'm I'm not gonna lie to you guys I feel like I feel like uh I saw the first 30 minutes of it and I kind of saw everything I needed to see um <laughs> I feel like I kind of got the idea so maybe I'll go back and check it out but i've I've, I've shared some of my movie thoughts with you on Friday Miss Molly and I were gonna well we'll, we'll We'll, we'll return to TV shows on Netflix another day. It's one of my favorite topics here. I really want to do an addendum to the show where we just talk about movies and TV shows and books. Just talk about stuff. Uh, Jeff uh, writes, good morning, sir. I was just wondering if you had any Shields High podcasts in the works. Jeff, thank you for your kind note. Yes, I do have them in the works, but we are trying to find the best place to house them. And uh, we are in the process of finding sponsorship for them. I think that, or we're going to set up a model. If you folks are willing, uh, we might even go the subscription ra- uh, route, where we'll do, you know, uh, it would be like it would be like downloading the latest Ariana Grande song. You just pay for the song. Well, you pay a small uh, a small price for the podcasts. Uh, that would be the idea. You know, whatever it is, Ariana Grande is probably what a dollar And you only listen to that like a thousand times before you've had enough. Although her songs are a little, some of them are a little naughty. When I listen to the lyrics, oh, you know, don't. This is like people who pretend not to like Despacito. Liars. Everyone. Whenever Despacito comes on, I've seen people who literally start going like, uh, you know, they start swaying their hips side to side and they're like, I don't even like this song. I'm like, yeah, sure you don't. Sure you don't, buddy. It's like people who say they don't like T-Swift. A lot of you listening probably going to say that, but you know what? She has the most Twitter followers in the world. Miss Molly told me this over the weekend. It's also always a reminder for those of us in conservative media. It's people are like, oh, like how many? You know, how many Twitter followers? How many Facebook followers? Oh, look at so and so. So and so has a has a million Facebook followers. And I was like, yeah, which is only about sixty-five million less than you know, name twenty celebrities out there, right? So we are not in the social media. Mass appeal business here. We are in the insight, commentary, and news analysis side of things, which means that I don't think anyone's going to beat T-Swift from the news media anytime soon. Although Trump has, I think actually Obama might still have more Twitter followers than Trump, which, there there you have it. Uh, James is next up here. The Russians are playing games in Russia vis-a-vis the Kurds and the Turks. Expect more confrontation with the I think you mean Syria here, my friend. But yes, expect more confrontation with the coalition following the Russian election on 18 March. All right. Very interesting. Thank you. Um, Next up here, we have Jen, who starts out with, by the way, anytime you want me to read your podcast, I mean, read your podcast. Sorry. Uh, You want me to read your note slash if you want to. Like I'm not gonna lie, you start out with "I love your show" or your podcast. It's getting read, and it's probably getting read on air too. <laughs> so this is, you know what I mean? Yeah, it's like you're handed in term papers to the teacher. If the first line is, you know, you know, Professor Sexton, you're the best professor ever. The grade's going up a little bit. I, this is just reality, folks. The grade's going up. But so uh, Jen writes, "Hi Buck, love the show. Just wondering about your perspective on Syria." Um, Jen, I, I hope I have been touching on this subject enough that you feel like I've been uh, sharing my analysis on it, but I think certainly this week we'll get more into it. Uh, so that put a put a pin in that one for now. Paul, last one up on roll call for this week. Deep dive, how about a segment on microfacial expression experts? It's totally fascinating how uh, Paul Ekman has created a whole new, area of study and law enforcement. Um, Sure, Paul. I like that idea. We could look into some of that. Maybe be fun for a Friday, a Friday uh, show, Freestyle Friday. So thank you for the suggestion. Team, that's going to be it from the Freedom Hut for today. I'm already excited about what a great week we're going to have here. And keep in mind, on Thursday and Friday, I will be in the great state of Georgia broadcasting from Savannah. So if you're in the Savannah area, go check out the... Black Rifle Coffee opening at the Nine Line Apparel store in Savannah, Georgia. Until tomorrow, my friends, shields high.